Well, good morning, River City. Uh, my name is Bran. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you for worship this week. Only like one week left with my boot. I should be like back standing like a normal person next week. I'm excited about that, but uh, excited as well. Welcome you if you're new or visiting. Want to make sure you feel welcomed here at River City. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. I'd love to help you get plugged into the community here and and excited to be able to do that. Uh, summers are a great time to get plugged into a small group at River City. Our schedule in summers just looks a little bit, uh, the content looks a little bit different. We just spend a lot of time just like prioritizing relationships and helping people get plugged in and connected. And so if you've been thinking about that, we'd encourage you to reach out to a small group, one of the small group leaders. Uh, we'd love to help you get plugged in, help you get connected to the church. So excited as well to really begin diving into our summer series on the attributes of God. We talked last week how an attribute refers refers to a quality or a characteristic that belongs to someone. But the reality is that with God, God's characteristics, his attributes don't just describe him. They're the definition for what those things are in the very first place. And, and so God's attributes not only reveal his character and nature to us, they not only tell us who he is and what he's like, they also tell us about ourselves. And they tell us the reality of what is true. And so we began, we began as well last week our series when I says that the, the reason why taking the whole summer to study the doctrines of God and spending our time a week after week this summer learning what to think rightly about who God is and, and what he's like, the reason why all that matters so much is because what we believe about God changes what we do. What we believe about God changes what we do. You see, our, our behaviors are a tangible expression of our beliefs. That's true in every area of our lives. And so thinking about God's attributes isn't just some intellectual exercise that's like really good for pastors or professors to do, but it's something that actually impacts each of us in real ways in our daily lives because what you believe always changes what you do. And so whether words like immutability and omniscience excite you or terrify you, uh, I want you to know wherever you're at, our series this summer is for you. And so I'm, I can't wait to show you as we think about who God is and what he's like to show you not only the realities of those things in God's word, but also how that changes our lives, how it's meant to change our lives in good ways. So, so we dive in uh, this morning to the first of God's many attributes that we'll be taking a look at this summer. Uh, what we're actually going to be doing in some ways is kind of calibrating our expectations a little bit because uh, the reality is, is that our tendency is is to want God to be understandable, for him to be comprehensible, for him to be manageable, right? We, we want a God that we can kind of wrap our minds around, wrap our hands around, to kind of like really get a hold of it and figure out. But what I want to show you this morning is that the God of the Bible is a God who doesn't fit inside of our boxes. In fact, he's a God who describes himself as one who is utterly incomprehensible, one who is beyond our understanding, and what I'm not saying is that we can't know him at all, but the reality that we have to begin with as we think about God's attributes is, is the reality that we cannot know him exhaustively. We can't know him completely, at least not yet. And that can feel unnerving, that can feel unsettling, right? Because again, we want God to fit within our realm of understanding, and it's hard to embrace things that are beyond our understanding. But what I want to show you this morning isn't just the reality that God is beyond our understanding. What I want to show you is that that's actually good news. That's actually good news. And I want to show you how if we'll behold and believe in a God who is truly limitless, 
then in the midst of our own limitations, we can actually have joy and life and hope in the midst of that stuff. And, and will actually be enable us to be, to be and become the people God's made us to be. So it's going to be a stretch. Trust me, I spent the whole week trying to figure out how to describe an indescribable God. That's a challenge, right? So it'll be a stretch for us. Maybe it's a stretch for your minds this morning. But trust me, it'll be a good stretch, right? Like one of those ones that helps you. So um, let, me, let me pray and then we'll dive into our time this morning. God, thanks so much for you and for your word and for gathering us together here to hear from you. And God, we're so grateful that uh, although you are a God who is outside of our ability to understand completely, you are indeed a God who chooses to reveal yourself, that you don't hide from us, that you're not trying to obfuscate yourself from us, but that you intentionally reveal yourself to us, especially in your word. And so God, we just come humbly this morning. Uh, admitting that although we want you to fit inside our boxes and we want you to uh, we want you to be understandable and manageable, um, God, we just want to come humbly and admit that uh, that's not who you are. And I, God, I pray as well as we study that reality this morning that it might not produce fear or anxiety in us, but instead it might produce a joyful awe and reverence for you, one that leads us to give our lives entirely back to you and to, and for, and to live for your, for your glory. And so for any of that to happen, God, we need you to do that work in us. I don't have any winsome ability to describe you that's going to make that true. Um, God, by your spirit, you need to shape us and change us. And so uh, we ask that you would... For our good and for your glory, we pray it all, God. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, I think all of us have the question, we all wonder about what God is like. And all of us have some ideas about what we think God is like. But where I want to begin this morning is the reality that whatever we think about when we think about what God is like, we need to begin with the perspective that, that at the very least, our understanding of him is incomplete. That it's incomplete. You see, because one of the fundamental realities about God is that in contrast to us, to us as humans who are finite, God himself by nature is infinite. You know, most of us know the word infinity. My kids certainly do. They love to quiz each other about like, I often, it's like once every day at dinner. What's infinity plus infinity? Da, 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 da. You know, and they use it as like a taunt for each other somehow. I don't totally understand, right? They think they really understand the idea of infinity, right? They have no idea what infinity means. They very clearly don't, right? You see, to them and to most of us, we refer to, we use that word to refer to the biggest thing we can think of, right? The biggest thing we think of or the longest amount of time we can think of. It's just the biggest in scale. But our finite understanding cannot fully contain an infinite subject. And that means by nature that God himself who is infinite is incomprehensible. Again, that doesn't mean that, we, that he is completely unknowable. What it means is that we cannot completely know him. Our finiteness it always limits our understanding of God. That's why in the Bible, whenever you see stories about people who get a glimpse of what God is like, or they see a shadow of him, as we see in, in Moses in Exodus, or, or they get a, a glimpse of what heaven is like, as we look at in Revelation, whatever it is, what you find is that their descriptions are always full of kind of these vague similes and metaphors, and there's all this imagery that's there. And they compare what they see with the best and brightest, most beautiful, most glorious things they can think of that they've ever seen before. 
But their descriptions are always qualified with the, with the phrase, well, it's kind of like this. It's the best I can do, but it's way, it's, it's beyond what I can, what I can say, right? You see, and, it, and the reason why their, their descriptions are often full of metaphors and, and similes and just like a broadness to them is because, and it's not because they're trying to hide or obfuscate the things that they saw. It's because they simply do not have the words to describe the reality of God's nature and character. They just don't have the words to say, like, this is, it's the most glorious thing I've ever seen, but I can't really explain what it was really like. You see, God is infinite and we are finite. He's beyond our understanding. Job chapter 11, verses 7 through 9 reads this way. He says, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They're deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth, it's wider than the sea. Psalm chapter 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. You can't even imagine how great and glorious God is. Psalm 147, great is the Lord, mighty in power, his understanding, it has no limits. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2, Solomon's writing about the temple that he wants to build for God. He says, the temple I'm going to build will be great because our God's greater than all other gods. He goes on, he says, but who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Jen Wilkin she sums it up this way. Uh, she's written a book called uh, "No One Like uh, None Like You," and it's just a book that talks about the the incommunicable attributes of God. I'd highly recommend it to you. She she writes in it this way. She says, "To the human mind preoccupied with quantifying creation and its inhabitants, seeking control by measurement and validation by comparison, the Godhead presents a conundrum. For the God of the Bible is infinite, immeasurable, unquantifiable, uncontainable, unbound." Utterly without limits. And as I, like I said in the beginning, as I've tried to spend the week trying to figure out how to explain that to you in a way that's helpful and meaningful, uh, my brain's kind of started to melt out my ear just a little bit, right? Uh, and that, that's probably good. That's probably a reality, right? But, but while we might, while trying to comprehend God's incomprehensibility is a bit of an exercise in futility, uh, let, me, let me do my best to try to flesh that out a little bit for you. You see, one of the things that we're talking about, when we talk about how God is infinite, what we mean is that he, ha- he doesn't have any bounds, that he is limitless, that he's measureless, right? And three, kind of three uh, handholds I want to give you as we think about how, what does it mean for God to be limitless? What does it mean for him to be infinite and incomprehensible? Well, the first is that, is that God is infinite. He is limitless in relation to himself. What that means is that, is that who God is and all that he is, he is those things limitlessly. He is those things infinitely. You see, you see, is that we call this God's absolute perfection, right? It's the idea that whatever God is, in all that he is, he is those things perfectly, unlimitedly, to the perfect degree. He's not just partly or largely or mostly sovereign. His sovereign authority is infinite in measure. It has no limits. It has no boundaries. His power and perfection, they know no limits. Like Psalm 45. 
145 said, His greatness is unsearchable. It's beyond our understanding. But it's not just God's power and his authority that are limitless. We'll see throughout the rest of the series, we'll look at a number of God's attributes that we get to reflect. But we'll see as well that his love and his grace are also infinite things. One author puts it this way, his love is measureless. It has no bounds because it's not a thing It's a facet of the essential nature of God. His love is something that he is, and because he is infinite, that love can enfold the whole created universe in itself and have room for 10,000 times 10,000 worlds beside it. His character, his power, his authority, all of it is his without bounds, unlimitedly true. So God's infinite in relation to himself. But secondly, we see throughout Scripture that God's infinite in relation to time. You and I, were bound by time. It's one of the things the the movies are most fascinated by, the bound of breaking. It's the the bound of time, right? Scripture, we see how God, we see this this idea repeatedly, how a, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years to God. And what the Scriptures are not saying is that there is a one to 1,000 ratio between how God views time and how we view it. But what the Scriptures are saying is that God is not bound by the constraints of time. Everything and everyone that you and I know, it starts and ends somewhere. It has limits. It has bounds on both ends. But God does not. He is without beginning and without end. He has always been and he's always been God. God views time as one who is outside of it. And one who is not just apart from it, but one who is able to be present in the midst of all of it simultaneously. He's not limited by time as you and I are. And so he's not limited in time, he's infinite in regards to time in relation to himself. But lastly, what we see throughout Scripture is that God's infinite in relation to his to scale and to measurement and to space. As a spiritual being, God's not limited by a physical body. He's not constrained to one geographical location or one area of, of space. He is fully present everywhere. He is not containable. Acts chapter 17 says it this way, that the God who made everything in heaven and earth does not live in temples that were made by human hands. First Kings chapter 8, he says, even the highest heavens cannot contain him. A.W. Tozer, uh, in his book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy, another one I'd highly recommend to you, he, he puts it this way. He says, our concepts of measurement embrace mountains and men, atoms and stars, gravity, energy, numbers, speed, but they never qu- can quantify God. We cannot speak of measure or amount or size or weight at the same time be speaking of God, for these tell of degrees, and there is no degree in God. The fullness of all he is permeates every part of time and space. And I don't know about you, but that blows my mind, right? That is hard to wrap your brain around. That's, that's hard to understand. I've always been fascinated by space, I love science fiction movies. I love the idea of faster than light travel and getting to visit other worlds and see what things might be like. I, it's fascinating to me. Recently, my daughter Emma got a telescope from her, for her birthday, and so we've been uh, looking at stars and the night sky and all different kinds of things. And I remember uh, one night she asked me how far away the star was that we were looking at. She said, how far away is that, Dad? 
And I just took a deep breath because like for her, like her, her longest unit of measurement is like a four-hour car ride to grandma's house. Like that's like the limits of like how, something that's really long. That's, that's really far away to her, right? And, uh, but the reality is that the way you measure how far stars are away is not in hours or days it's in years, and not just in years and miles, it's in, it's in light years, the distance that light travels in a year. And at 186,000 miles a second, light travels almost 6 trillion miles in a year. The nearest star to us is over 4 light years from our sun. And, it's one of, and it is one of just Hundreds of billions of stars in our very own galaxy, of which is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe we can even see and comprehend. Try explaining that to an eight-year-old, right? And when you try to explain it, what you realize is that it's beyond explaining in some ways. It's so much bigger, it's so much grander, it's so much, so far beyond our understanding to ability to grasp. It's so difficult. And when you take a moment, just to even think about what it begins to give you is a glimpse of the incomprehensibility of God. Isaiah chapter 40, God talks about himself this way. He says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. You see, God is not just the author and the creator of a universe that is far bigger than you and I can even fathom. He is beyond that reality. He's the maker of it all. As Tim Keller notes, this is not a tame God, not a God you can figure out or expect to figure out. He's a God who is beyond our comprehension. And yet at the same time, I want to encourage you because it can be easy as we think about a God who is bigger than we can understand to be full of fear or anxiety. But the reality is that God is, God's incomprehensibility is not just true of his power and authority. It is also true of his goodness. And so all that we are unable to know about God, when we find it out in, in eternity, when we meet him face to face, when we find those things out, what we will find is that there are no skeletons in God's closet of things we, we found out that we wish we wouldn't have known. What we'll find is that for all eternity, we'll be probing the unlimited goodness of God. And all that we do not know about him now, all that we cannot see and cannot understand, the only things that we are going to find out will be things that, that are full of goodness and awe for him. You see... The reality is, is, that, is that we need to behold that kind of a God, a God who is beyond our understanding. And the reality is that if we would behold him, not just see him, but believe who he says he is, the reality is that that would actually change our lives in some very real ways. And the first is that what it would produce in us is a right reverence and awe for him. Psalm chapter 33 says it this way, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. 
goes, the psalmist goes on in verse 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. You see, believing that God is beyond our human comprehension, the first thing that it does is it brings us to our knees in awe and wonder. When you look at the times that people got a glimpse of the reality of God throughout Scripture, every single time it leaves them on their knees before him with an awe and a reverence for him. See, Jen Wilkin again, she sums it up this way. She says, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God should bring us to our knees. His unsearchable judgments and inscrutable ways should inspire a right reverence. To see God as one who is free of limits begins to rightly orient us as worshipers. You see, we need a God who's bigger than our understanding. Otherwise, we will be a people who's wildly unimpressed. And that's not true of God. He is utterly impressive in every way beyond our understanding. But it's not just an awe and a reverence and a, and a, and a right worship of him that seeing him for a, the limitless God he is produces. No, what it also actually produces is joy. Because what happens is, is that this God who is utterly limitless is also a God who chooses to reveal himself to us and to make himself known to us. Although well, you might not know him completely, we know him meaningfully. We know him in real and significant ways, and he reveals himself to us. And what should blow our minds and produce an unrivaling joy in us is that the God who is limitless is the one who also makes himself known to us. And the more, you, the more you allow the reality of his limitless perfection to bring awe and wonder into you, and the more you allow the reality, yet at the same time that he knows you deeply, that he's the God who creates all the stars in the universe, and yet the one who knows every hair on your head and makes himself known to you, when you hold those things in tension, it produces joy in you. There's a life that's there. And so there's worship and there's joy, but also as well what we get is dependent rest. You see, the reality is, is that you and I, we run into our limits every day. At the end of every day, you get tired. And the only reason why you're trying to stay up at the end of night is because you feel like you got something to do. And regardless of whether you want to be awake or not, you're, you're running into your limits at the end of every day. We run into the limits in our, in our tiredness and our energy. We run into limits with our finances. We run into limits with what we can know and what we can see and what we can understand. We run into our limits all the time. And the reality is, is that while you and I are limitless, God is not you see, and our limits aren't bad. Instead, they're meant to point us to a God that we can worship and depend on entirely. You see, when we reach the limits of our strength, we're meant to worship the one whose strength never wanes. And when we reach the limits of our understanding, we're to worship the one whose understanding and reason is beyond searching out. Who has a view that you and I do not. And who knows not just why things happen and when they do, but who has a view of eternity from past to present. E.W. Tozer sums it up this way. He says, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. See, you and I, we want a God who fits into our boxes. 
but that's not even the God you actually want because you are so limited. If God fit into your box, he would be limited as you are. And you run into your limits all the time and you realize that you need a God who is beyond your limits. And he is. See, the problem, though, is that instead of believing that God is limitless and incomprehensible, we functionally live and think as though we are, or at least should be, the ones who are limitless. Instead of being fully in awe and having a reverence for God, we treat him like an equal, one who we assume can just be an advisor, whose whose information and, and suggestions we can take under advisement if we show please. We believe ourselves to be the unlimitedly knowledgeable ones, the ones who know what the truth really is and who can find out whatever we might need to know with enough time or energy or research. But the reality is, is that even though we want to believe that, we come, again, like I said, we come up to our limits all the time, and we hate that. We do everything we can to fight the limits that we find in our lives, right? Energy drinks exist because you have to sleep, right? And you don't want to. And you use whatever you can to fight the reality of your limits with regards to sleep. It's endless the way we can talk about it, right? But not only do we reject our own limits, we often reject or at, or at very least highly skeptical of a God who claims to be without them. We reject oftentimes a God we cannot understand and we say, God, if you cannot fit inside of my boxes, if you can't be manageable by me, then I just can't believe. Tozer again sums it up this way. He says, left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God that we can in some measure control. We feel as though we need the security that comes from knowing that God is manageable by us. You see, here's the spoiler alert. If God were able to fit inside your boxes, then you would be God and he would not be. See, you and I were made to be reflectors of God's glorious limitlessness. We're meant to be his image bearers. But instead of reflecting him, what we instead try to do is try to rival him. Rather than worshiping and trusting in the God who knows everything, we desire to be all-knowing ourselves. Rather than celebrating and revering his all-encompassing power, we seek all-encompassing power in our own spheres of influence, and we seek to be a people who have unlimited influence and unlimited power in our own spheres of life. Rather than resting in the unchanging reality of God, we declare ourselves to be unchanging and unchangeable. We are who we are. You just can't fix it. But the truth is, is that instead of liberating ourselves from our limitations, all that we end up doing is continually running headlong into them. You can't get past our limits as much as we would love to. And the reality is that it's exhausting. When we try to be what only God is, it is endlessly exhausting. And so the question is, how do we move from unbelief to belief? How do we choose to embrace a God who is limitless instead of just rejecting him? How do we, as well, how do we move from just knowing that God is limitless, knowing that he is beyond us, to actually believing that truth and living in light of it? 
Well, Tozer again so poignantly writes, he says, we must behold the incomprehensible God. And the God that we must see, he says, is not the utilitarian God who is having so much of a run of popularity today, whose chief claim to men's attention is his ability to bring them success in all their various undertakings. No, he says, the God that we must learn to know is the majesty of the heavens. God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the only wise God. It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth, who stretches out the heavens as a curtain, spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. It's he who brings out his starry host by number and calls them each by name through the greatness of his power. God who sees the works of man as vanity and who puts no confidence in them and no counsel in the kings. You see, what we need to do is behold God for who he really is. And the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, God makes himself perfectly known. The incomprehensible makes himself comprehensible in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says it this way, For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. You see, if you want to behold the incomprehensible God, you have to look at Jesus. And the good news is that what we see in Jesus is not just the incomprehensible power and authority of God, but what we see is his limitless mercy and grace as well. You see, in the midst of a people who choose, instead of worshiping him and reflecting him, to rival him, What we see is God's limitless mercy for us. Where our sin abounds, his grace abounds all the more. And in the midst of our sin-sick rivalry, God's infinite ability to cure, it shines forth in the person and work of Jesus. You see, that's why it's such good news that God is beyond our understanding. His power is greater than we could know And so is his mercy. And you and I need both of those things to be true. You see, when we're celebrating and remembering communion, what we're reminding ourselves about is God's incomprehensible mercy and grace made known to us. We're reminding ourselves that in the person, the work of Jesus, he revealed himself to us, that he showed us what he is truly like and who we are truly to him. In communion, it doesn't change your status or your standing with God. It doesn't change the way that he looks at you or views you or relates to you. Instead, it's a chance for us to remember, to remind ourselves about the infinite God who made himself finite for you. The infinite God who is infinite in authority and power and yet infinite in grace and mercy as well. And so if you have trusted Jesus, the one to be, the one who perfectly reveals who God is and who mercy makes you right with him, then during our time of worship, go back and take communion. Do it in joy as you remember and celebrate all that he's done. There's a table in the back on the left and on the right, and you can dip the bread and the juice and take communion that way. But if you're here today and you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, 
If you're still figuring out who he is and what he's like, then I want to encourage you, hold off on taking communion. God's not after religious rituals and going through the motion. He's after a heart that trusts in him completely, a heart that submits its limits to his limitlessness. As we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, wherever you are at, I want to encourage you to talk with God, to ask him to keep revealing himself to you. Because the reality is that beholding the incomprehensible God requires his self-revelation. And it is both easy and hard. It's easy because the lens that we view God through is the lens of faith and it's a gift from him. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says that no one knows the Father except the Son and and who those the Son chooses to reveal him to. It's a matter of revelation and it's a gift from God. But it's also really difficult to behold the incomprehensible God because it requires surrender. Pat Morley, in his book, Man in the Mirror, he writes this. He says, there is a God that we want and there is a God who is and they're not the same. The turning point of our lives, he says, is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. See, the reality is that we all want a God who fits inside our boxes. But the good news is that the great God of the universe is far beyond any boxes we can even put him in, any that we can imagine. And if we might choose in the midst of our limitedness to embrace his infiniteness, then we might actually have joy and hope in a God who is not limited as you and I are. It's good news for us, but it's one that requires that we ask him to show himself and that we surrender to who he's revealed himself to be. God will not come to us on our terms. He comes to us on his own, and that's good news. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for you and for your word. And thank you, God, that although you are beyond our understanding, that we cannot know you completely, that you still choose to reveal yourself to us, that you make yourself known. Thank you, God, that what you make known about yourself is not just your infinite power and authority, but your limitless goodness as well. Might that draw us not only into a worshipful reverence of you, but a glad obedience unto you. Help us, God, instead of rejecting your limitlessness, to reject our own and to instead embrace you as the one who is beyond our understanding and the one who is beyond us is good. We pray these things in your good name, God. Amen.